You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Sound on with Kevin Cirilli. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Sound On. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Change of plans, President Trump says, not so fast on pushing health care ahead of the 2020 election cycle. Meanwhile, will he or won't he shut down the border, the U.S.-Mexico border? Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell had a lot to say about that, and it wasn't too positive earlier today on the on the Senate floor. Plus, all of this is ongoing fallout for former Vice President Joe Biden, the crowded 2020 Democratic presidential field weighing in on these misconduct, not even sure what to call it at this point, including Speaker Nancy Pelosi. She says maybe he could have used a different choice of words. We're going to dive into all of that. All-star panel, Jordan Fabian of the Hill newspaper. Did I say it right? Fabian. Fabian. Almost nailed it. Gosh, I asked you right before we came out. Jordan Fabian. Fabian. Yeah, Fabian. And he told you. And that's Louise. I know. Sorry. I've known Jordan for years. I used to work with Jordan. I Jordan Fabian of the Hills here. And Louise Schiavone, my... Schiavone. Okay, Kevin. You know it's just like now I'm just... I'm, and I'm Kevin Carilli. But before so we get into all of that, let's go Bryce Harper. The newly crowned Philadelphia Philly. Sorry, Washington. I represent Philadelphia. That's all I can say. Busy, busy day, though, here in Washington, D.C., from health care to the border. We're going to dive all into it. We have an all-star panel. Jordan Fabian, he's the White House reporter at the Hill newspaper, Uh, a a Washingtonian, too. Indeed. Born and raised. They're hard to find. Yeah. But you exist. We're around. Yeah, They're around. around. You just got to look. You got to know where to look. And Luis Giovanni, who is... Everywhere, a, a professor of crisis communications at uh, J- Johns, Hopkins. Johns Hopkins, as well as an NPR sometimes host. I mean, you're everywhere. Yep. So we appreciate you. A good friend of mine and a good friend of the program coming in to make the and time. And I'm happy to be here, Kevin. Thank you, Louise. So, I mean, so I was on Capitol Hill today, and literally as we were getting the playback from President Trump, uh, you could hear the staffers essentially breathing a collective sigh of relief as the president said he wasn't going to completely go after health care before the midterms. But then there was this interesting development where he's got the head of NATO sitting next to him and and he's being asked about whether or not he's going to shut down 
the U.S.-Mexico border, as he threatened to do at the end of last week and again over the weekend and again yesterday. Uh, and he, he seemingly backed off, but he said he still might do it. And this after our very own Jennifer Jacobs, a White House reporter here at Bloomberg, uh, ricocheting this story across the Bloomberg terminal that says that the president's listening to his economic team about uh, getting the economic impacts of what it would mean for the economy if he were to shut down the border. I want to play for everybody what the president had to say earlier today about the state of affairs down at the U.S.-Mexico border. Here's the president. So we're giving hundreds of millions of dollars to these three countries and the money's not going to where it's supposed to be going, number one. Number two, they're taking advantage of the United States, and they have been for many years. But then in the next breath, he essentially says that he likes what Mexico's immigration laws are. He believes that they are tough. He also went on to suggest that the U.S. immigration system is at a complete and utter standstill, for lack of a better word, in terms of where things are and that it's totally over overutilized. While the president was toying with shutting down the border, literally, as this feedback was coming in, I'm in the the Senate building, and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Republican from Kentucky, he's on the Senate floor. His words, Jordan, he said that it would be a quote-unquote economic catastrophe, economic catastrophe, if the president were to shut down the U.S.-Mexico border. Jordan, what are your thoughts? Well, you hit it right there, Kevin, which is that Republicans and Democrats in Congress were essentially universally against this idea of shutting down the border. So you see, you see the president today pretty much reversing himself. Last week he said very definitively, it's going to happen next week if Mexico doesn't clean up his act. Now I can tell you that Mexico didn't change its immigration laws in the last four days. Right. So it, you know, he comes out today saying Mexico is doing a great job. And um, uh, and so we'll see what happens about shutting down the border. So that he said he laid out a clear marker last week. Today he's much more vague. Um, the, the the aides at the White House clearly trying to tell us uh, today that they're trying to uh, pump the brakes here. And, and like you said before, Kevin, he's also hearing President Trump from his own advisors who are trying to study the economic impacts of this. And they're also hearing from business groups like the U.S. Chamber of Commerce who are basically saying, if you do this, it's going to be a, 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 just a catastrophe, like Mitch McConnell said. And so all of these factors uh, leading up today to the statement that the president made saying, uh, right now, probably not going to happen shutting down the U.S.-Mexico border. And somewhere you can just see Stephen Miller's eyes rolling at the thought of the Chamber of Commerce dictating immigration policy. Luis, from a crisis comm standpoint, one-on-one, your thoughts? Well, there would be a huge trade impact if the president were to shut down the border. And it it would be a a huge trade impact, especially agriculturally. I mean, American farmers would be uh, very sorely hurt. Uh, Mexican farmers would be very sorely hurt. Americans have been used to getting all kinds of fresh vegetables every time, uh, you know, all throughout the year that we get from Mexico. All that stuff would dry up in um, in uh, American supermarkets. Uh, but above and beyond that, I mean, think about the precedent. It, it, it would be unhelpful, and uh, any kind of financial injury would not be good for the country, would not be good for the president, would not be good for the Republican Party. And as the L.A. Times puts it by our colleagues Molly O'Toole, Noah Bierman, and Eli Stokels, quote their headline, as Trump threatens to close border, experts warn of billions in economic damage. Uh, they paint a picture of $5.3 million in sale. Uh, businesses on the U.S. side of the border lost $5.3 million in sales, according to local 
officials. Uh, temporarily, folks are, are stuck on both sides. I mean, this has a, a host of different impacts. You, you put this in the backdrop of the different 47 official entry ports. I mean, people think of the border as just like one giant road. It's not. There's 47 points of entry along the U.S.-Mexico border. It's more than 2,000 miles. And are you ready for this? My number of the day. $1.7 billion. $1.7 billion in commerce daily. Daily crosses between the U.S. and Mexico border. $1.7 billion in commerce. Yeah, but you know what's so interesting about that is that the reason that there is this massive crush of immigrants coming from Central America to the border with the United States is really acute economic de- deprivation. It really highlights the inequity in all economies, right? These people are living in tremendous poverty. They are victims of gangs. They are coming to the United States because they want relief from these things. They want relief from the gang violence. They want relief from economic deprivation. But these two things do not qualify them for asylum. The only legal reason for asylum is if you are going to be persecuted by your country. Uh, and so it's, 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 it's really a, a, a tremendous standoff over this issue. But you know, it all boils down to the economic deprivation. And I just can't imagine that the manufacturers would, would even like this. And one of the things that they're toying around at least when you talk to some folks, or at least what's, what the chatter is, that they, they would keep railways open so that that would keep some of the trade. Coming up, we'll have much more uh, on the situation in terms of the economic fallout. Should President Trump shut down some of those borders, shut down some of those roads? $1.7 billion daily in commerce. Panel stage Jordan Fabian of The Hill newspaper, a Washingtonian local, lifelong Washingtonian resident, and Luis Schiavone of John Hopkins University and an all-star journalist and dear friend of the program. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Let's go, Phil. Sorry, Nats fans. You can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes. Find us on the Bloomberg Business app at radio.com as well as on Spotify. Thank you, Spotify, and iHeartRadio app. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. I don't know who's advising him there. And advising is even a word. I don't know who's poisoning his mind on some of these subjects. Poisoning his mind. Ooh, ouch, harsh, harsh words from Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. She was talking with our uh, Axios colleagues, no, Politico colleagues uh, earlier today at an event. Uh, Anna Palmer and uh, Jake Sherman, the Politico co-authors, along with our good buddy Daniel Lippman at an event. She was talking about the president's decision to potentially shut down ports of entry or even the entire U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, The fallout of this is still reverberating. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says that it would be a could be a quote unquote economic catastrophe. He was echoing what the U.S. Chamber of Commerce had to say. One point seven billion dollars worth of commerce crossing the U.S. Mexico border daily through 47 ports of entry, 2000 miles worth. Uh, The president was in the Oval today. He told reporters that he's likes what the Mexican government is doing, but he still wants to be making sure that they're doing more, yeah, doing the their part. Is, well, what are they Luis Schiavone, e, Luis Schiavone <laughs> of Johns Hopkins University has is with us for the hour, as well as Jordan Fabian, a uh, reporter for The Hill, White House reporter for The Hill. Luis, 
So what are what is Mexico doing? You know, the, the, what people say, people who are in the region, leaders in the region say that what Honduras, what El Salvador, what Guatemala needs is not somebody slapping them around, but somebody giving them a leg up, somebody giving them money for development. So people won't want to leave their countries, but but will be able to get jobs and build meaningful, uh, prosperous lives within their own country. So they aren't racing off to the border to enter the United States. So so the question is, you know, my question is, what is Mexico doing? What What is Trump referring to? But the, And this is the interesting point, which is one of the things that Trump tried to do to stem this migra- migration crisis was cut off aid to those northern triangle countries, Guatemala, El Salvador, and, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Honduras. There is actually data showing that the money that was going to El Salvador helped cut the number of people who are migrating from El Salvador, I think, almost in half between 2016 and 2018. So that's why a lot of lawmakers on the Hill are frustrated with this whole approach, because it seems to contradict all of the evidence and all of the recommendations coming from experts on how to address this crisis. You know, and behind the scenes, though, Jordan, when when you're talking to, to White House sources and White House officials, it is interesting about the approach that they're taking in cutting off foreign aid because – and on this show, we talk a lot about international trade policy, U.S. and China, and the role that China and, and the play that China is making, particularly in that region. Mm. So by cutting off aid I'm, – I'm curious from your reporting, if your sources and your reporting tell you that, that maybe, they're, maybe the White House is a bit concerned that if, if we cut off aid to that region, China's just going to go right on in. But, uh, Kevin, this goes to so many different questions. I mean, look, go back to TPP and what everybody and you know, a lot of Republicans, Democrats, Democrats in Congress were saying about that. Um, you know, that was billed by the Obama administration as something to sort of keep China at, at bay in the Asia Pacific. And then Trump, uh, you know, his, he, he likes to stick to his gut and stick to his, stick to his philosophy. And his philosophy is I'm going to do bilateral trade deals. I'm going to you know, cut off aid and get real tough with the Mexicans because I don't think they're doing what's right. Um, so he's willing to go with his gut and buck this, the sort of conventional wisdom um, despite all warnings and, and uh, you know, recommendations from its aides and advisors. All right. I want to I switch gears now. I want to talk health care policy because another major policy development here with the president last week on Capitol Hill, I believe it was last week, on Capitol Hill, he, he, he goes up there. He tells reporters, he tells Republicans that he wants to have health care. He wants to pass health care. And people were scratching their heads on both sides of the aisle saying, where's the rollout? I mean, we had Brendan Buck on. He's a former senior aide to former House Speaker Paul Ryan. And I mean, the, the work that went into rolling out the tax care, the tax policy plan versus like no rollout whatsoever of health care. I mean, it's, it's night and day. I do want to play for you now what seems to be a reverse course for the administration in terms of backing off health care. So here's the president in terms of why he's backing off health care. We don't have the House. So even though the health care is good, really good, it's much better than when the plan comes out, which we'll be showing you at the appropriate time. It's much better than Obamacare. Luis Giavoni, you are a crisis communications professor in chief at Johns Hopkins University. Uh, and from, you know, forget about the politics for a second. In terms of the communication strategy here, how would you advise business leaders of a successful rollout? And does this warrant being a successful rollout? Well, you know, the, the, the big communicator is obviously the president. He's the one who's like sort of the crazy maker in all of this, right? So, so Trump... <laughs> the only person who can communicate like Trump 
is Donald Trump, because if you or I or any member of Congress, I mean, look at what Marco Rubio tried during the election. He tried to communicate like Trump, but he was crushed. So, uh, But is this just a mistake? I mean, did, 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 did he, you think like behind the scenes, McConnell's office was like, President Trump, there's no way we can get health care before, before the, the 2020 cycle. But you know what I think is interesting? When Trump was elected, one of the things that people really hated about him being elected was that all of the traditional sources they had in the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, they didn't have those sources anymore. You don't even have sources around Trump because the only Trump source is Trump. So he becomes extremely unpredictable. So so for for a company, what is the strategy of a company? A company, uh, the strategy of a company is just to to stay and do the most conservative thing. Right, and uh, and this is another problem with the president trying to read what he's doing is that he he really is all, the only person who understands what his motivations are because a lot of people coming off the Mueller report are thinking, you know, he's going to you know go off on the Mueller report, you know, maybe take a victory lap there, and then try to either shore up his support among the base. Or maybe even pivot to the center and try to pull in some of those independents and moderates or even some uh, some of the Democrats that he won in 2016 back into the fold now that the specter of the investigation is gone. Instead, what he does is go out and does something talking about health care that rep- congressional Republicans really don't want to talk about heading into 2020 precisely because they don't have a plan. And then roll out this immigration idea that had very little support on Capitol Hill. And what it comes down to, he's, he's a very impulsive guy, and he wants to stoke his base. Th- these are two issues, I think, where his base really cares about, and, and he wants to, he, he's going for the base-only strategy, and that's, and that's what we're seeing him do in this whole stretch here, where he's doing some things that uh, might seem puzzling on the surface. I feel like both sides are playing to their base right now, in terms of Democrats and the AOC crowd playing to their base about universal health care, and then, and then the president saying, you know, repeal and replace Obamacare. Coming up, we talk much more about the crowded 2020 Democratic presidential field and an update on U.S.-China trade policy. This as Chinese Vice Premier Liu He is set to be in Washington tomorrow. Also, Blinken, you'll miss it. Did you see the tweet from Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser about Bryce Harper? Well, it involves, it involves uh, Benedict Arnold and <laughs> Bryce Harper. I'll give you the latest on that. Can't make it up, folks. Jordan Fabian of The Hill stays. Luis Giavoni of John Hopkins University Crisis Com Shop stays. Uh, and I stay. Kevin Cerulli. You can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg business app, Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. UK Prime Minister Theresa May seeking to deal with the Labour Party to break the Brexit logjam. We're following that from our colleagues across the pond, led, of course, by our very own Guy Johnson in our London Bureau. Theresa May asking her greatest political enemy, Jeremy Corbyn, to help work out a joint plan for Brexit. 
this after they've been going through virtually if you think politics is at a polarizing point here in the u.s look across the pond we're going to have all the latest still in the logjam though no new developments in terms of what's next for brexit jordan fabian is a white house reporter for the hill luis schiavoni is a John Hopkins University professor of crisis communications and a journalism veteran with more than three decades. Yes, well, I started when I was 10. I mean, you make it sound like I'm so old, Kevin, but... I, no, no, not at all. Well, I you, mean, the you know, first of those three decades was my elementary school newspaper. Well, I was on my the West, the West Press, it was called, in the Wallingford Elementary School Book review, the West there Press. That was my first byline. But enough about that. I do want to kind of stick across the pond. This is my, my smooth transition. Did you guys see what the D.C. mayor tweeted? You can't make this up. Mayor Bowser. So she tweeted out a picture, picture of Bryce Harper, and it was like scratched over his face was Benedict Arnold, you know, the traitor from the Revolutionary War. And then she had to delete it. It was only up there for like 30 minutes. I mean, Mayor Bowser. Look, we have a lot in common, but please don't be so disrespectful to my Philadelphia Philly All-Star. Well, people, <laughs> hate, people hate it when, they're, when their favorite players leave Yeah, but leave don't town. hate the game. I mean, I mean it's the Philadelphia Phillies, I, America's team. Yeah, right, that's exactly uh. right, Kevin. <laughs> right. How dare she disrespect yes. your team? Come on, Mayor. Come on, Mayor Bowser. Anytime the mayor wants to come on, by the way, open door. For the mayor. Oh, that would be that would be very very. She should good. come on. Yeah. So we were talking earlier about immigration, about health care. Coming up, we're going to talk about the fallout for former Vice President Joe Biden and the record numbers of of the crowded 2020 Democratic presidential field. But I do want to stick with trade policy because, as I said earlier, the backdrop to all of this. And Anthony Scaramucci was on yesterday. He agrees. Skybridge Capital. The backdrop to all of this is China, the U.S. China development and the trade talks. China's got a presence presence in South America. China's making a presence into Europe. And the vice premier, Liu Hua, is going to be here tomorrow. Uh, and they're going to continue to hammer out details. Jordan, what are you gathering from your reporting about where the U.S.-China trade talks stand? Well, I mean, even the fact that he's visiting is viewed as a positive sign in the administration that they will be able to get a deal done. Because as you remember, there were supposed to be talks at the end of last month, or excuse me, was it still March? No, it's April. And April. last month, yeah, sorry. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> it happens. Uh, but there were supposed to be talks uh, last weekend uh, between uh, Xi Jinping and President Trump to try to end this trade dispute once and for all and get the deal that the president has been looking for, and that was pushed off. <clears throat> excuse me, the president then saying that he was maybe going to keep these tariffs on $360 million, billion of Chinese goods on for the foreseeable future. So the fact that you know, he is coming over and he's meeting with you know, uh, uh, Steve Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, Lighthizer, the uh, trade representative, that's going to be uh, – I think that there's, there's cautious optimism they'll be able to make concessions in addition to the fact that China's um, announcing some concessions on fentanyl and, and other trade matters uh, heading into this meeting. All right. Well, trade is a huge issue, and um, and China is a huge presence. Uh, they are tremendously strategic. They are uh, uh, an economic powerhouse globally, obviously. 
Uh, I think China's got some concerns uh, with its own economy. What is the, uh, you know, what lies ahead? Uh, They may be weakening as a country, and they cannot afford to have a trade war with us any more than we can afford to have a trade war with them. So the fact that these Chinese officials are here in Washington and continuing the conversation, which was something that they announced even last week that this was about to happen, and every time the president says that this is about to happen, there's going to be more conversation. Wall Street looks up. World markets look up. So we are—we're always happy when we see world markets looking up. So you know, fingers—we we all have our fingers crossed, right? Luis Schiavone of John Hopkins University's crisis communications professor, Jordan Fabian of the Hill newspaper. Find his reporting at thehill.com. He's a White House reporter. I find it interesting with the U.S. and China trade talks from a calendar standpoint. Forget about the politics for a second. There's only so much time that they can meet with each other, President Trump and President Xi Jinping. And I'm getting the feeling from the sources that I talked to, Jordan, that really if there is a one-off between President Trump and President Xi, it would be to, to formalize an agreement. Wouldn't be a la Vietnam. Wouldn't be where there's a walkout. That, yeah, I think that's right. And well, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because that's been part of the – the Chinese trepidation in coming here is that they don't want to be embarrassed as they come all the way over here and the president for some reason try, uh, tries to get up and storm out of the meeting. But you're right, Kevin. There is deadline pressure. There, there was a deadline set of March 1st uh, to lift these tariffs that came and went. Uh, now we have the sort of floating deadline that's happening. But there is urgency on both sides to get something done. Uh, both, as Luis put out, uh, uh, pointed out, there, there are some problems in the Chinese economy. And for President Trump, you know, he, he needs some accomplishments to show to voters in 2020. And, and what could be better than a trade deal with China that would juice the stock markets and uh, really create some consumer confidence? But what else would it be better than demonizing China, right? I mean, you know what I mean? Especially to independent voters, because China polls worse than well, I, Republicans. I, what's, it, so there, there lies the rub, which is that there's a lot of disagreement within the Trump administration about China and how we should treat them. Should we make a deal and get this nice deal that would choose the economy? Or should we take this opportunity now to address these longstanding concerns like intellectual tra- uh, intellectual property theft and, and things like that? So th- that's been the disagreement for two years now, and it's still unsettled. Yeah, I mean, also the White House, the Trump administration, has to at some point demonstrate that these tar- this tariff strategy is actually working for the United States. So far, there's little evidence that it's really helped very many people. And what President Trump needs is a victory. He needs a solid victory to say, look, you know, I put it out on the line that well, we have to end this, this, and this, the intellectual property theft, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and, the, and, the chi- and China is now agreeing with me. I love it. Where politics and policy, Bryce Harper and Benedict Arnold collide right here on <laughs> Sound On with Jordan Fabian of The Hill, Luis Schiavone of Hopkins, and I'm Kevin Cirilli. Bloomberg Television and Radio Chief Washington Correspondent. Download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes. You can also find my reporting as well as my colleagues on Radio.com, Spotify, iHeart, the Bloomberg Business app, and a host of different other platforms. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli. On Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio Chief Washington Correspondent. Time for some 2020 chatter talk. 
More fallout for former Vice President Joe Biden. Will he or won't he officially get into the race? This after allegations of misconduct, uh, of inappropriate behavior that have been ricocheting through the Beltway and around the country. Jordan Fabian is a White House reporter for The Hill. You can check out his reporting on thehill.com. Luis Schiavone is a crisis communications professor at John Hopkins University. She's also a journalist in Washington, D.C. You can find her work everywhere. She's been with CNN, NPR, Sirius, everywhere uh, around town. And we're thrilled to have her on the program. So have you been following this this Joe Biden stuff, Luis? I love this story. You know, and this is like a classic crisis communications case. This is the kind of thing that, well, I'm actually, this week we're going to be talking about crisis communications in my class. And we're going to totally talk about this. It's not really allegations of wrongdoing, is it? It's like allegations of really making bad judgments and um, and and bad optics. So so Joe Biden, he's always been a very handsy guy. We all know him to have always been a handsy guy. It's sort of like Strom Thurmond 2.0. Uh, Strom Thurmond, who is a, a senator from a Republican senator from South Carolina. I mean, he makes Joe Biden look like a piker. The stuff that he used to do, he would he would grab you in the hallway and dip you and kiss you and all this stuff. Joe Biden doesn't exactly do that, but especially in the environment that we're in, this, you know, the, the Me Too environment, and, you know, way, way, way before Me Too, it was n- not acceptable either. But what's interesting is the pile-on on Joe Biden. And uh, one of his uh, former press secretaries wrote uh, an opinion piece in USA Today and talked about, did you see this? Uh, what, a, what a great guy he was to work for, that he respected maternity leave. He, uh, he gave plenty of opportunities to women. He let women get back to their families, to, to be there, to have dinner with their, their husbands and their children, that he was just a totally great guy to work for. Uh, so, uh, so a second woman has come forward claiming that the former Vice President Joe Biden, according to CBS, which has really been out front of this whole story, They've said that saying that that she was touched inappropriately, inappropriately at a political event in 2009 in Connecticut. She's a former congressional aide, Amy Lapos, and she told this to the Hartford Current. Now, uh, this comes following a couple of days ago uh, when uh, when another woman, uh, Lucy Flores uh, of Nevada, she's a, at a campaign event, uh, said that she was in 2014 at an event where Biden approached her from behind, smelled her hair, and kissed her head. Um, I want to read so a statement. It's so stupid, though. I mean, Wait, these things well, are so stupid well, let's, that he did. I think let's, those things well, are let's stupid talk, let's, let's, All right. So uh, here, in a statement, the, vice, the former vice president said, quote, I have offered countless handshakes, hugs, expressions of affection, support, and comfort, and not once, never did I believe I acted inappropriately. We have arrived at an important time when women feel they can and should relate their experiences, and men should pay attention, and I will, end quote. Uh, Louise, you mentioned that that several women have come uh, to the former vice president's uh, defense. Anthony Scaramucci, who was on the show yesterday, defended Joe Biden. I was a little bit surprised because Trump world is, you know, including the likes of Kellyanne Conway have said that they they don't agree with that. Uh, But Jordan Fabian of The Hill, I want to play for you what Speaker Nancy Pelosi said earlier today in Washington, D.C. when she was asked about this at a Politico newsmaker event. She was asked point blank about Joe Biden's response to all of this. Here is the Speaker of the House. 
So to say I'm sorry that you were offended is not an apology. I'm sorry I invaded your space, but not I'm sorry you were offended. Because that's, what's that? That's not accepting the fact that people think differently about communication, whether it's a handshake, a hug. That's Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi speaking earlier today at a Politico Newsmaker Breakfast event in Washington, D.C. Jordan, the Speaker of the House in a crowded Democratic field, has a tough political tightrope to walk. Yeah, Kevin, uh, this really shows how the mores around this kind of conduct have changed since Joe Biden ended the political arena in the 1970s. Um, Luis, like you said, like he's been doing this stuff for a long time. You know, I covered the Obama administration. I saw him do this kind of thing, both at social events and at work events. But um, the, the, the question now is not, you know, did Joe Biden <clears throat> intend to make somebody feel bad? It's, it's did they feel bad? And, and I think that's the question that Biden and his team are having trouble dealing with. And it, it also points to the fact that Joe Biden, if he enters the race, will be considered one of the front runners, but also might struggle to uh, make, get traction in this environment when you know, adherence to the you know, progressive uh, norms and, and also this, this question of this question of Me Too is so prevalent in the debate. Um, you know, he's he's certainly a relic of the past in that sense. And 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 by, by what we're seeing in, in the response from his team, um, they're clearly struggling to respond to it, which is interesting because I think they should have been um, anticipating this question in the lead up to his rollout. Yeah, it seems like the stuff was stocked up and just ready to go. And what's interesting is that Michael Bloomberg might be thinking about running on a. Uh, if if Biden decides not to, that was reported on Axios. I don't know whether or not it's true. But the thing the thing about uh, Joe Biden is that what hurts him is that it does make him look like an old person. He looks like some old guy. Right. As opposed to some new guy who is, you know, who is tapped into the Me Too values. And it right. comes at a time in which the, the fundraising numbers uh, are are really echoing in Bernie Sanders raising eighteen point two million dollars eighteen point two million dollars Jordan Jordan he's leading the twenty twenty Democratic fundraising field uh, for his presidential bid in the first three months of the year yesterday what a difference a day makes yesterday Pete Buttigieg the Fort Bend Indiana mayor uh, saying he got what like seven mil Bernie goes boom boom boom. $18.2 million in the first quarter. Big bucks from Sanders World. Yeah, and again, Kevin, this points to the the, the question surrounding Biden and, and when he's going to make this decision because you look at these fundraising numbers coming in from the top-tier candidates. Even Pete Buttigieg, who's considered a mid-to-lower-tier candidate, is pulling in $7 million in, in the first quarter. And, I think Beto uh, O'Rourke's got a little jealous of Right. Pete. Well, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure Beto will pull in a, a huge number as well. And, I wonder how Vanity Fair helped him. Right, right exactly. Sorry. So, it's you know, the, but the, again, like Biden has to be asking himself and the people around him, you know, when is he going to jump in the race or not? Because he's he's risking losing out on donors and and losing out on key staff hires if he waits too long. What do you think of these fundraising numbers, Luis? I'm always amazed that people have this much money to give to political <laughs> candidates. I think, like, where did they get this money? And I think that Mayor Pete, you know, could very well eat Beto's lunch. Yeah. And it, 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 it is interesting because it's, you know, I'm looking at the Bloomberg Terminal, some of these numbers. Barack Obama, 
uh, raised 25 mil uh, in the first quarter of 2007. So this is on pace. I mean, it, it's not unheard of. I mean, Barack Obama then, like the the uh, incredible, you know, uh, 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 candidate du jour. I, I do want to note, Luis, you mentioned this. Michael Bloomberg is the founder of Bloomberg LP, the parent company of Bloomberg Radio, and Axios making that report off of Joe Biden. We're going to have to leave it there, team. I want to thank Luis Schiavone. She is a Johns Hopkins crisis communications professor, also a journalism veteran in Washington, D.C., a good friend of the program and of mine. And Jordan Fabian, another friend of the program, who was on when we were in Vietnam. So it's yeah. good to, I want to thank you for that. Before I, we sign off, i got to say, Kevin, go Nats. Oh, God. <laughs> you guys are just really yeah, – this, this is like tense. This is tense. Mayor Bowser, if you're listening, Benedict Arnold tweet, be damned. Uh, thanks to Jordan. Find his reporting at The Hill. That's it for me. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Check us out uh, on Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business app, as well as Spotify, iTunes, Radio.com, and iHeart. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.